0: Hello friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Zodigital.jp, an SEO and digital marketing agency dedicated to helping businesses succeed in Japan. Look for the elephant logo at Zodigital.jp. Hello, everyone. This episode, I speak with serial entrepreneur Tyson Battino. He has founded three businesses in Japan, including the very successful English school chain OneCoin English. His latest business is called Scaling Your Company, where he advises and coaches small business owners how to scale their business five times to one hundred times. We talk about how he got his start in Japan, then how mentoring helped him shortcut his career. Tyson even shares the best two pieces of advice he received from his mentors about working in Japan. Tyson explains how to scale English schools into profitability, solving business complexity for new managers, on being a business growth specialist by being a business generalist. And Tyson then introduces his podcast called Scaling Japan and how it fills a niche on growing businesses here in Japan. This episode has so many business tips and info gems, Tyson even suggests everyone listen to it twice. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Tyson Patino. Uh, Scaling a business increases complexity, and this is where a lot of people get lost. As a business scaling consultant, Tyson, what advice would you offer in regards to business
1: complexity? Solving business complexity. Most people, they undervalue their time and they overvalue money. I've spent too much time in my career trying to do things to trial and error or reading Mm -hmm. a book as a result of me doing things and just trying to figure it out. I feel that I've actually denied my team a lot of opportunities to grow because maybe it took me three to six months to figure out. I could have just hired a coach or a consultant, an advisor, and they could have helped me solve it in two hours instead of three months and having my staff to do a lot of trial and error and figuring things out and frustration as well. Most people, they undervalue their time and they overvalue money. Maybe I could have paid some like three, four hundred dollars an hour for two hours, so pay eight hundred bucks, but save three months. That's probably the weak point of, I'd say ninety five percent of business owners and country managers. A really good CEO or business leader is really good at capital allocation. How can you use money to save time, or how do you use money to get more money? That has been my weakness in that I have undervalued time, my time, and also the time of my employees, and overvalued money. And let's say, overvalued my ego. Very insightful point. Okay, excellent, Andrew. Let's get the show on the road. Well,
0: Tyson, uh, you're originally from Hawaii. You seem like you're from Hawaii, you have that Hawaiian vibe about you. Do people say that? People
1: definitely say that. I wear a lot of Hawaiian t-shirts that spread the aloha. I try to bring the aloha to the work environment. Well, your initial
0: plan was to come to Japan, save some money, and then go to graduate school to become a licensed therapist. This was your two-year plan. 18 years later, your resume includes teaching English for several years, then becoming an HR manager and trainer, and starting three businesses. I got to ask you, have you given up on the licensed therapist
1: idea? I definitely have. My original goal to be a therapist was to help people overcome, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it, try to get past thought patterns not conducive to their life. I don't plan to go back. And I feel that I can still achieve the mission by creating great companies that value their employees and creating processes that help people overcome, let's say, negative thinking patterns. Nice. You're really passionate about
0: training, recruitment, and talent management. You're a real people person. I see what you mean your your interest in being a, a
1: licensed therapist. And like just the way you structure your company, I forgot who came up with this quote, but it's cost, quality, time, choose two. You could choose high quality and maybe low cost, but it takes a lot of time. You can't have all three. When people try to force all three onto people, it creates high pressure situations that are often re- unrealistic. And you can actually create a lot of mental health issues. Why can you only have two and not all three? Do they cancel each other out? You could have all three, but I mean, how many things can you really do super high quality in a short period of time at very low cost? It's something very similar I often say about
0: doing sales. When you pitch to a customer, there's always three criteria they always have. All three have an order of importance it's either price, quality, Or it's delivery, and you can't have all three at the same time. There's always a trade-off. Could you elaborate on delivery? Uh, Like having inventory, having something available right now. For example, if money was not an option and you wanted a Ferrari, but all they had was white and you wanted a red, you have to either wait or accept the white. (laughs)
1: Gotcha. And I guess your goal is to find out the hierarchy. A good salesperson
0: should be able to pull that out of their counterpart through questioning. If your buyer is focused on price, meaning maybe they want something lower price, and you keep talking about quality, then there's a mismatch there. Getting back to your career, I'd like to skip over the early Geos and interact days and go straight to your first business because your first business was the most visible. You co-founded
1: OneCoin English. Well, yes, I'm one of the three co-founders of OneCoin English and the only foreign founder.
0: Well, I've heard you mention the only way to make change was to start my own business.
1: What was that change you wish to make? That's a very good question. So I would provide a little bit of context. Before I co-founded OneCoin English, I was a manager at Interact for about 150 full-time foreign teachers. During my time there, I did implement a lot of initiatives to provide more support to teachers. But a lot of my solutions were Band-Aid solutions. They weren't solving the root cause, which was the structure of, let's say, the teaching or the expectations of the teachers. So I managed a lot of the symptoms. When I wanted to create OneCoin English, I wanted to make a company that valued the employees and the customer equally. So I like to say they're equal, but at different times. In, in what scenario in, or in what case would
0: somebody take the employee over the customer?
1: For at least with OneCoin English, I think one potential example is uh, you might have a student and they might say, like, I only want to take lessons with a female Caucasian teacher. And in our case, because we charge a very affordable, reasonable rate, we can say, like, you know, actually, they're, they might not be available right now. Do we really want to go out of our way to serve this person? That would yeah. probably make the teacher uncomfortable. So that's what I mean by having the power to create change. The fact that we made foreigners feel welcome in Japan, mm-hmm. I think that was a huge achievement probably one of the keys to success of running an
0: English school has to be having professional and competent teachers.
1: What is the key to training English teachers in Japan? I do have kind of like a magic formula that I stumbled upon that gave us a huge competitive advantage. But I'll say the key to training English teachers is really understanding the teacher's situation and designing your training system and what's a management system around that. So for some language schools, their teaching style is very intricate. A lot of school owners actually brag while well, our teaching system takes two to three years to learn. But on the other hand, most foreigners who come to Japan only stay for two to three years. If the type of school you wanna create is with that complicated teaching style, uh, you might have to offer more money to teachers who've been there for two, three years. Or you might have to offer them kind of like a career path, something other than teaching. For example. For example, maybe they want to learn social media. Was I able to communicate that clearly?
0: Yes, it sounds like your system is a bit proprietary and therefore you're holding back on some information. But let me rephrase the question. The key to training English teachers in Japan, how
1: much of it relies on salary? Okay. That's a very good question. I would say it's important, but I don't think it's the defining factor. For the first two years, uh, when you're training someone, it's really, if they like the students, they're going to find a way to get better at teaching. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when people mention about training, they focus too much on the concept of trying to train someone to do something, where I like to think about it as more of a process or how can you create the culture plus the actual hands-on training to do something. Why not focus on the culture? Like the best way to train someone is to create a culture where they want to be trained.
0: Like the Richard Branson School of Thought, where he says, take care of the employee first, they will naturally take care of the customer. This is a nice segue into mentoring. For you, mentoring is a big part of your success story. Typically, mentorship in Japan is more minarai, watch and learn, or on-the-job training. But you didn't have time for that. You had a mentor who helped you get to where you are. Could you share a little about how that came about?
1: I was lucky to have three mentors in my career. The first one, it was someone who actually managed a company with like 7,000 to 10,000 customers, hundreds of teachers. He was a fellow manager in the company. And the reason he took me under his wing was, you know, I really, really wanted to learn from him. And it sounds funny, but he made more money than me, obviously. But I would actually buy him lunch. Were you paying him for his time? No, I just paid for lunch. The value of that one hour People would pay them hundreds of dollars an hour, and I just pay a thousand yen.
0: (laughs) Where are you taking them for lunch? You should be taking them somewhere a little bit more expensive, Tyson. They're imparting all this wisdom to you, and you're like, hey, you want the sakana bento or the chicken bento?
1: (laughs) But that was someone in the company.
0: Okay, fair Um, enough. The other two mentors you had, what were
1: their professional backgrounds? One was the CEO of OneCoin English. I got really lucky in that when we started OneCoin English, he had already created multiple million-dollar revenue businesses. So one of the reasons I joined OneCoin English was having the opportunity to work with someone of such a high pedigree who I could learn from on a daily and weekly basis. It wasn't an active mentorship, uh, just working with someone on a let's say a couple of times a week because they had multiple mm-hmm. businesses really was fundamental for me understanding business. And uh, in his case, he's a business model master and the really big takeaway from him, which uh, that's why I couldn't reveal my next two business ideas coming up with the right business idea is often 70% of the work in creating a business. Cause if you don't create the right business model, the idea, You're going to have to substitute time afterwards.
0: Having a good idea is also about analyzing all the barriers to success. Anybody can come up with a business idea, but when you actually think it through, okay, well, first I have to do this and then I have to do this and then I have to do this and then somebody will buy it, hopefully. All of these steps that (laughs) you have to go through, the more you have, the less chance of success Part of having this great idea is having fewer barriers to success of that idea.
1: Oh, I agree 100%. Even with choosing my company name, podcast is the Scaling Japan podcast. The company is scaling your company. I mean, my tagline is, I help you get from 100,000 annual revenue to 10 million annual revenue. I actually help you increase revenue. It's an easy sell. Are you mentoring or are you
0: consulting? And what's the difference?
1: That is a very good question. Advisory is like someone comes to you with a problem and you give them advice. Let's say I have a client. Maybe we'll do two sessions a month. They bring challenges every two weeks and I just give them advice on what to do. I like to do advisory and coaching at the moment. Coaching is like a fitness coach as well. You'd meet them every week. And a fitness coach would say, like, did you exercise? Did you eat right? Let's check what you did. Coaching from the business end is, how did you spend last week? What is your plan for this week? How does that move the needle? Why is this the best usage of your time? And so I combine advisory, but with the coaching model, I combine coaching and advisory. And that's kind of why I chose the business model, because I've looked at a lot of uh, business coaches out there or executive coaches. A lot of them are really great in kind of exploring what to do, but there aren't too many who have a lot of execution experience. That was the niche I wanted to fulfill. And so I'm not poo-pooing on them. A lot of them have really good methodology. That's kind of the niche that I'm positioning myself in. What are some of
0: the golden nuggets, best advice
1: your mentors gave you about doing business in Japan? So with the first mentor, it cracked me up when he told me this. But he said, Tyson, the only thing you need to know about working in Japan is... If your boss asks you to do something, don't ask why, ask how. (laughs) A lot of times when a Japanese manager may request a foreign employee to do something, they're like, that really doesn't make sense. Like, that's really dumb. I'm trying to come up with a concrete example.
0: I'll give you a concrete example. When I first (laughs) came to Japan, I was working at a department store as a buyer. When they made me go to the cold warehouse in the middle of January, to do all the inspection, all of the items I bought when I was in New York, I was thinking to myself, why do I have to do, why do I have to check these things off of a list? I already bought them. They're all here. There's a manifest. Why do I have to physically touch them and count them and make sure that they're actually here? They hired a foreigner Me to do something international for their company, yet they have me sweeping the floors and dressing the mannequins and all of these things that I thought were, I thought they were beneath me, but they really gave me such a great foundation. Those are, I'll give you those examples for your own point, Tyson.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, in that case, rather than you thinking about why they're asking you, if you had just focused on how to do it amazingly. I know they had a good impression of you, but that would have given them a much better impression because all your mental energy was focused on how, not why. Yeah, That's a great point.
0: Okay. That's one nugget. I'm going to write that one down. You got one more, one more for the podcast, my friend. Okay.
1: And the second one, this was from the CEO of OneCoin English. One of the big points he consistently, consistently pushed on me was A company can only grow as fast as the leader. And despite him being at the pinnacle of being a business leader, he always, even to this day, reflects on how am I limiting my company through my limitations as a business owner? When there's a problem, he reads a book. He consults an advisor. I think he does or he does have a paid advisor. So that was really fundamental for me. When I meet a lot of people, they're like, you know, I don't need coaching. But then I see them, it takes them like three months to do something. I could have helped them in two, three hours.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of profits, how do you scale an English school? Why, I ask, every foreigner who's taught English in Japan has entertained the thought of starting their own English school. And I've had guests on this podcast podcast who started their own schools, and they all say the same thing. Extremely difficult to scale beyond a certain point. The overheads are high, and the more students you have, the more teachers you need, meaning more salaries. The profit-to-expense ratio seems to cancel each other out. So how does one scale an English school into a profitable business?
1: You've done two. I have done two. Could do more. Right now, I'm coaching and advising quite a few uh, language school owners on how to scale their language school business. One of the things I discovered is kind of onto the point that you mentioned is I think if you're a great teacher, you can create one school with maybe 150 students. And that actually is a pretty decent business if it's just you and your husband or wife, meaning student pays about, let's say, 8,000 yen a month you have 150 that's about I'm trying to do public math but uh million yen. that's one point yeah it's like 1 million to 1.2 million yen so you can actually have make a pretty good amount of money just being a great teacher with one school but well, you'll get word of mouth people come in low expenses and you make a pretty good living where it starts to get tough is when you hit maybe 300 to maybe uh 500 students and you want to get to a thousand active students. Let's say 500, that's about three or four schools. And the reason they can't scale issue they have is essentially they don't have a solid number two. And usually the owner is doing everything. And usually the owner is the pillar of the company. And the owner usually doesn't develop a staff into a solid number two or Maybe the manager really doesn't have the, the owner doesn't have the skills to develop solid number two. The advantage we had at one OneCoin English was, uh, so I co-founded it with two Japanese guys. One of them was a marketing expert. The other one was, he was an ad consultant for franchises and chain shops. So all of us were either very high level managers to senior level in each of the key functions. And mm-hmm. the key functions to really creating a school is operations, marketing, teachers. The reason why we scaled so fast, we didn't need investment. We doubled year over year because we had you know high-level people, specialists. But in the language school case, the school owners, might they might be an expert at curriculum. They might be an expert at teaching, but they're not an expert at management. They're not an expert at marketing and they're not an expert at operations. So they're trying to learn all these different skills. They don't have a number two who could own one function.
0: It almost seems that you have to chase more and more students
1: to get more and more money to keep ahead of the curve all the time. I would say that's a very accurate statement. Going from 150 to 300 is really hard because that's when you start being dependent on other people. And a lot of school owners, like, they're a first-time manager. People are going to quit. You're going to invest your time into people. You're going to feel like they let you down. They're in that 150 to 300 range where you don't really have the money to maybe hire a manager, a dedicated manager. You have to do everything yourself. So you're, uh, you're always in tactical mode. You're always firefighting. When you've been doing it yourself, you're not really accountable to anyone. And in a lot of cases, you don't know what the ideal situation is. There's going to be probably a lot of issues in the company that need to get sorted out. If someone comes in who even has previous experience, you're going to battle with them because you don't know what the ideal situation is. Your opinion and their opinions are different, and there's a lot of infighting for that. Yeah. Japanese speakers know that ZO means elephant
0: in Japanese. ZO Digital Japan is an SEO and digital marketing agency Based in Tokyo, contact them to help your business grow traffic by four times, seven times, and even 10 times in one year with services such as SEO, content marketing, pay-per-click advertising, and more. Head to the website zodigital.jp and look for the Elephant logo. This is interesting because you are the first other podcaster I have interviewed. So let's pitch your podcast called Scaling Japan. What is it about and why should people give it a listen? Wow, you're really putting me on the spot here. (laughs) Listen to experts and people who have scaled companies in Japan share their journeys and tips. So
1: I'm very passionate about it, so I want to communicate in a great way. Here's my thoughts. Uh, the Scaling Japan podcast. I would say it's for foreign country managers in Japan and foreign business owners in Japan. I think it could be useful for people who are working at companies, but it's really for someone who runs a business and they really want to learn how to grow their business in Japan, but they can't really find the information or like, you know, the information on how to do things is not readily available. So that's the niche that I really wanted to fill. I think there's a lot of great podcasts in Japan, like Disrupting Japan, uh, Now and Zen. Uh, never heard of it. <laughs> you have okay. Business Success Japan. I don't think there is any podcast out there that really focuses how to grow a business in Japan. I mm-hmm. wanted to fulfill that niche, but also at the same time, interview really awesome people. Well, it's also great PR for your business. It enhances
0: your reputation as an authority on the topic of scalability and business expansion.
1: It was deliberate, so yes. So if you're a business owner, and let's say you want to improve your sales, you want to get investments, you want to improve your management or marketing in Japan, if you come to my podcast, you choose the category that you're interested in, bam, five to 10 episodes on how to do sales in Japan. From different people. So it's less about the person's story, but it's more about how they're really awesome at what they do and how they do it. I really liked that podcast that you had with Miho Tanaka.
0: It was about how to raise money or how to get money from the Japanese government to support your business. That was fascinating. One episode, just how to get government money. (laughs) Scaling Japan. It's a consulting company, right? That
1: is correct. I would say it's a coaching and consulting company.
0: Well, what came first? Scaling Japan, the podcast or the business?
1: The business came
0: first. Your podcast then is a marketing arm of your
1: business. The podcast is the marketing of stage one of my business. And I have three-stage process to become the authority on business in Japan. What are the other two stages? Other people haven't come upon it yet. People will find out when I launch it.
0: Let me ask you this, Dyson. As a podcaster, are you self-taught?
1: I am self-taught and I'm on episode 10.
0: How long did it take you to learn how to podcast? Buying the right equipment, editing, finding a podcast host, everything. For me, I'm self-taught as well. It took me four months.
1: How long did it take you? It took me probably five to 10 hours. Oh, that's pretty
0: fast. I guess I'm just stupid.
1: (laughs) I did pay for advice. I hired someone for about $150 an hour, and I paid them for one hour. Simply, I asked them, what can I learn in this one hour that will save me three to four months? They gave me the basics, so I didn't actually spend any time doing research. Most of my time, one was really thinking about the concept of the podcast. How can I create a podcast people really want to listen to that doesn't exist at the moment and would promote my business and myself and also uh, get me access to uh, really interesting people?
0: Well, you've definitely succeeded. I asked you that question because it relates back to what you were just saying about how you could help somebody shortcut their career or the experience that they needed. So it took me four months to learn how to podcast. And I've had a few people contact me and said, hey, we really like your podcast. Could I pick your brain? Because I'm thinking about podcasting too. Sure, fine, no problem. I give them some advice. I say, do this and do that and whatever. Everything you need to know is on the internet, but it's piecemeal. And then it got to a point where Four or five people had asked me for some advice and one guy said I want to start a podcast could you tell me how to do it and I said okay I'll give you four hours I'll give you two hours one day two hours another day and at the end of these four hours you will learn everything that took me four months to learn but I'm going to charge you this much then he said well let me get back to you on that and then he never got back to me (laughs) but there you go I saved my time um, was this experience of having a mentor one of the catalysts to starting the scaling Japan
1: business? That's a very good question. Even though I might sound like a real businessman, really, I really enjoyed teaching. It kind of fulfills that itch of, like, you know, really helping people one-to-one. Mm-hmm. I'll say it's the mentorship, especially for, like, clients who I meet every week. Seeing them every week, just seeing their, like, brains explode because like they realize this is what it could have been would have taken them years to figure this out and just like bam 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 and just seeing people like saying like you know this is the best decision of my life so you're literally creating shortcuts because yeah because i mean i know i mean i've seen enough issues i mean i've been working 70 hours a week for like eight years. And, you know, I've done the HR side, the recruitment side, the marketing, I ran operations. You know, researching you one theme, one common thread,
0: you seem to be building micro skills. And this was the key to supercharging your career. What I mean is there is no one skill of entrepreneurship or even business. Both are made up of many micro skills like sales, leadership, negotiation, idea creation, etc. Becoming good at a lot of these micro skills will help you advance your career a lot quicker than say someone who just focuses on accounting or marketing. Does this sound like an accurate description of your Japan
1: journey? I would say it's accurate in terms of it describes me, but one thing I have to clarify is that you know, like you're a, let's say, jack of all trades, the master of none. They actually don't have like eight years of experience in one thing. I have three years of experience in various things. For that reason, it makes it hard for me to be employable at a corporation. Because I'm good at so many different branches of a business, it makes oh, yeah. me actually am a specialist by being a generalist.
0: Well, those are micro skills.
1: So, I'm a specialist at creating businesses that can become million dollar revenue, five million dollar revenue businesses. I would say I'm a specialist at being able to create businesses through the combination of all of these micro skills. I love it. Tyson,
0: what is your favorite Japanese word or phrase which does not have an exact English
1: translation? It's actually a really hard one for me because the, the first word that came to my mind was iseki nicho. And I was like, oh, but never mind. That has an exact English translation.
0: It literally has an English <laughs> translation.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So that's my favorite quote. But so the other one I like is kusakute tai. Could you say that one more time a little slower, please? Sorry. I think it's a uh, kusate tai. And it's a uh, kusa. I think it means like spoiled, it's like stink. You know, like natto. Natto, it seems like right. it's spoiled. Thai, I okay. think, is a, it's a type of fish. Even though it's kind of, I guess, really stinky or it makes you feel awkward, it's such a valuable fish that it's valuable. Thai is synonymous with
0: congratulations. Omedetai. to. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. I didn't know so that. So
1: even if it becomes stinky, it's still very valuable. I was trying to think of the English translation, and I actually came up with one on my own. A diamond in poop is still a diamond. There's a lot of people that you meet, they're really or like they're really weird or they're kind of intolerable. But if you really get to meet them deep down, you know, talk with them, if you can kind of just look through the poop, you might be able to find someone who's actually a diamond. Finding the good in anything. Kusatemotai. Some of
0: the things that you're passionate about, HR, recruitment. Digital marketing. Isn't recruitment also marketing for your company to attract talent? I feel like there are many people who view marketing as being product or service focused, but in recruitment, marketing your company to attract talent is just as important or arguably more important. Agree
1: or disagree? Oh, I mean, I agree 100%. I figured this out before it was even a thing. I, Came upon this eight years ago. I, I, will, I will share one of my tricks. One of the tricks I used is uh, if someone comes in for an interview, they're treated just as well as you treat a customer. They come in, I'll give you a nice drink, sit you down, give you a nice tour, and really make you feel like you're a VIP. What that led to is uh, people who didn't get jobs with us, they were like, uh, wow, like you know, you really take care of us.
0: You never get a second chance to make a great first impression.
1: Recruitment should be a combination of branding and marketing. Good point. Uh, I understood a lot of the psychology from it, uh, like, you know, because you know my background is in psychology. So uh, that's how I've always approached recruitment. And you just get to be known as a great place to work. Why are you passionate about what you do, Tyson? I would say I'm a builder. Even though I can do marketing, for me creating business models and creating like a company organization structures or like creating like a communication flows. I find I like building things that make people enjoy work and building things that help large amounts of people come together to do something much bigger than they could do on their own.
0: It sounds like a very creative endeavor.
1: I think I need work on this, but the two areas where I want to be a master at is business model design. And I use the term design or creator. Business model creation. I think that's one of the most top five most valuable skills you yeah. could have. The second one would it's uh how to come up with prices. For me, like moving for business model design and a yeah. pricing model design. And what I mean by pricing model design is uh based on yeah. these little, like this one digit changing or offering this added benefit, you can charge more. Adding value. What's the biggest takeaway you hope listeners learn from our conversation today? I hope it's those quotes that I mentioned earlier. You know what I learned from my mentor. Your company can only grow as fast as you, your leaders. Are they growing? Do they have an advisor or coach that's helping them? your growth trajectory is often tied with their growth trajectory. So in making decisions of who you work under in the future, that's something you should keep in mind before taking a job that's really going to determine your next couple of years. The biggest compliment I could get is creating a company that achieves profits. And at the same time, employees saying to me like, me working under you was the best decision I made. Or like, I am so lucky and blessed to have worked under you. Nice. Tyson, where can people learn more about what you do? I would recommend listening to this episode twice. There's just so many gems in here that I think it's impossible to fully comprehend upon first listen. As of where you can find me, you can find me on LinkedIn, You can check my site, uh, scalingyourcompany.com, and you can find the Scaling Japan podcast there. But you can also find other podcast appearances I've made, uh, webinars, free webinars that I've done on, like, you know, how to focus or how to choose what to focus on. So I've created a lot of free content out there. Just Google Tyson
0: Batino. That is correct. Well, Tyson, thank you for today. I appreciate you sharing your experience your wisdom, those two great quotes from mentors. I love your backstory. It's an inspiration for many. Mahalo, Tyson. Thanks for joining Now and Zen. Mahalos. Thank you so much. And that was Tyson Bettino, the founder of Scaling Your Company. Learn more about his business at scalingyourbusiness.com. Listen to his podcast on iTunes and other platforms. Just search Scaling Japan Podcast. Finally, find Tyson on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this conversation with Tyson, there are 59 previous episodes of Now and Zen located at nowandzen.jp. There you can leave a comment, a rating, or send me a message, even a voicemail. Cool, huh? Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye, everyone.